Welcome to the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast. I'm Sarah Hill, Associate Editor. Today's program is brought to you by BioTill Cover Crops. BioTill Cover Crops provide innovative solutions to growing problems with a complete line of cover crops engineered to scavenge nutrients, improve water infiltration, stop erosion, rejuvenate soils, improve your bottom line, and keep you profitable. Call 541-928-0102 today for one-on-one local consultations and recommendations. Today, I'd like to introduce Michael Langmeyer, Professor of Agricultural Economics with Purdue University. Michael will be discussing cover crop economics. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Thank you, glad to be here. To get us started, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, I'm I'm a professor in the Department of Agriculture Economics at Purdue. I've been at Purdue since 2012. Prior to that, I was an assistant professor, associate professor and professor at Kansas State University uh, from 1990 to 2012. And so I have some some, uh, knowledge related to crop rotations, both in the Western Corn Belt and the Eastern Corn Belt. Fantastic. That's right up our alley here at Cover Crop Strategies. So uh, let's go ahead and, and jump right into the questions. Um, to get us started, talk a little bit about how growers can fit cover crops into cropping budgets, which might already be somewhat stretched. Well, there's a couple things to keep in mind right away. And, and one of the things that's very important, I, 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 I want to give an analogy with, with, with no-till. When, think, when, when individuals are thinking about no-till maybe 20 years ago or, or even longer than that, we've had some very long-term uh, uh, you know, people practicing no-till. And people were doing that. Uh, they talked to, to people in their area uh, and other areas for that matter, that were already already doing that practice. And the same is true with cover crops. And so uh, one of the things to definitely do is, is go to the NRCS meetings and other meetings where, where individuals that have been using cover crops for a few years are, are, are talking about cover crops. And that, that's always extremely ex- helpful. Uh, and so that's the first thing I want to discuss. The other thing, when you're looking at anything like cover crops, it, it's like any other des- decision when you're when you're thinking about adding something to your to your crop budget, either for corn, soybeans, or some other crop, is you really need to think about what are the benefits from cover crops and what are the costs uh, you know, for cover crops. One of the problems with the adoption of cover crops, but this is true of other uh, similar technologies like cover crops, is the costs are easier to quantify than the benefits. And so that's, I'm sure we'll talk about that uh, during this podcast, but it's easy to come yeah. up with uh, seed costs, planting costs, termination costs, those kinds of costs are easy to come up with and, and are pretty accurate. But when you start thinking about cost savings uh, with respect to fertilizer, other inputs and, and yield improvements, those are difficult to quantify. Uh, but nevertheless, I mean, that's that's the approach I would take is, is to set it up as a partial budget, looking at the benefits and costs. And, and when you don't have very much information associated with the benefits, what you have to do is do what if. Uh, if, if my primary benefits uh, are c- from cover crops or, or crop yields, I'm not saying that is the only benefit, but if that's one of the primary benefits and you say, what does the yield increase need to be for the uh, cover crop uh, costs? Okay. So a lot of growers, as, as you mentioned, a lot of growers see cover crops mostly as an expense. But um, what are some ways that cover crops actually can add revenue 
to uh, an operations budget? I want to talk about revenue and reduced cost because they're both benefits. And so I'm going to be a little broader than your than your question. Uh, the the revenue uh, it is possible to get uh, yield increases from from cover crops. That's not always going to be the case. And so that's where talking to people that have used cover crops before, what are they doing that that may be uh, uh, enhancing crop yield for the next season uh, when they're using when they're planting cover crops in the fall? And so that's. That's one thing to look at for both corn and soybeans. Another thing is to think about the reduced costs. And again, these are not always uh, are gonna be uh, important, but, but, but some people that I've heard uh, talk about cover crops, there is real savings in terms of reduction in fertilizer costs, whether that be nitrogen, phosphorus, or potassium. And so uh, that's the other uh, benefit you wanna look at. Another thing that's been, uh, is probably more important in the Western Corn Belt, because we have less uh, cattle, uh, in the Eastern Corn Belt, but certainly uh, thinking about grazing uh, the cover crops has some definite benefits, uh, particularly if you already have uh, already have cattle uh, and, and so you're familiar with with, uh, uh, with with grazing, maybe wheat pasture or something like that. Uh, there, there's no reason that that couldn't fit into your system. Very good. So, what areas in a budget? Uh, might be reduced by implementing cover crops. Again, this is not going to be the case on every farm, uh, but certainly, yeah. certainly there can be potential savings with respect to uh, nitrogen, phosphorus, or potassium. Uh, that's not a not going to be a guarantee by any means, and that's something that uh, you really need to make sure you're doing a, a, some really uh, adequate soil testing, if you will, once you start uh, implementing cover crops to see if you if you can change your fertilization strategies uh, in, in response to the planting of cover crops. And so those are some potential items. And another potential item, again, it's hard to put a number on it, but another potential item is, is maybe you have better weed control uh, with your cover crops. And, and that, that certainly may uh, reduce some herbicide and insecticide, uh, herbicide cost primarily, uh, herbicide cost for the, for the, next, for the next crop. And, and so those are a couple of areas where I think uh, you need to take a look at uh, as potential cost savings. Okay, so now how does a grower go about determining how much cost savings they're getting by maybe using cover crops to reduce that fertilizer cost or other inputs perhaps? Um, what, what tools can they use to put a dollar figure on those savings? Well, sometimes there is experimental plots relatively close to them. And so you could use information from those experimental plots uh, that, that, have, that have used cover crops. And again, going back to NRCS, I know NRCS has been working uh, with farmers across the Corn Belt uh, on, some, on, on some plots. And so maybe look at some of those studies to see what the potential savings are. But quite frankly, one of the real challenges here, as we know, every, every track is different. And so really, really one of the things with cover crops is like a lot of other things uh, that we're talking about that you're not familiar with is start small. Uh, you know, st you know start, a, start a field that you're really worried about erosion uh, perhaps, and you'd really like to reduce erosion on that field. Maybe start with the cover crops on that field and then just start, start finding out uh, you know, over a period of time, whether it is possible to change your fertilization recommendations. I know that's not, that's not putting a, a solid number on it, but, it, but 
Uh, but sure. that's one of the challenges with, with cover crops is, is it's difficult to put a solid number on it. That's, that's why I go back to uh, always is saying, is, is talk to other people that have used cover crops. What have they been able to find on similar soils? Okay. So now kind of the same question, but thinking about other things like, as you mentioned, weed control or maybe pest control or uh, perhaps using cover crops to uh, get rid of a a crop disease uh, in the soil in a field. Um, What resources are available to, to help growers pinpoint cost savings? I would use the same strategies with, as with the fertilizer costs, uh, okay. Don't a broken record, but that's uh, that's that's uh, that that's a kind of a, a a sure way to try to get a handle on some of these things. Or beginning to get a handle on these things is is, is there some plots next to you where where people have been able to maybe cut out a herbicide application because they've used cover crops? Uh, so that's that's something uh, uh, certainly to look at. And and this is not our focus in the podcast today, but where cover crops really work well is if you're in uh, an organic system. Uh, because sure. there's such a challenge uh, in the organic system and you've got all these tillage passes that you, you often have to do to control the weeds. And so particularly in that system, I know that's a small fraction of the crop yeah. in the U.S., but there is some systems like that where cover crops are just a natural. For sure. We've mentioned this earlier. How do you growers go about quantifying some of those agronomic benefits that are gained from using cover crops? For example, uh, improved soil tilth, breaking up compaction, improving water infiltration. How how do you go about uh, quantifying those agronomic benefits? Those, those are di- very difficult to quantify, as you know. Uh, even the people that have been, been doing cover crops for, for a long period of time have difficulty quantifying those things. But my rule in economics is just because I can't quantify it does not mean it's not important. And, and so certainly, uh, certainly from a soil health standpoint, if you can, if you can improve that organic matter over time, that's going to be beneficial uh, from a yield perspective. And, and, and just the, just the, just the, and the notion of being able to reduce erosion, uh, that that's also can be very important long-term. And, and so one of the things, one of the things uh, that people that are thinking about cover crops or growing cover crops, one of the things to think about in the back of your mind, maybe people are already doing this to some extent is, is do I have landlords that are very interested in, in, in the notion of sustainability and, and soil health? Sometimes you do uh, that are really concerned about these things because this, uh, these topics are hitting the press uh, more and more all the time. Uh, can you parlay that into maybe a reduction in rent because you're doing these practices? And so, uh, and, and so, uh, so again, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to downplay the importance of, 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 uh, of of, of trying to account for, for soil health and reduction in soil erosion, even if even if we can't put a number on it, those are certainly some long-term benefits uh, associated with the use of cover crops. Well, and I really like what you said too about maybe turning that practice into a cost savings by maybe getting a reduction on rent or something like that. Um, you know, those small things can certainly add up in the long run for... Uh, if you're working with multiple landlords or you have multiple fields where that is being implemented. My phone hasn't been running off the hook related to this question, but I've, I've been asked by quite a few landlords, is there a clause I can put into my, uh, my rental agreement that would encourage people to grow cover crops? And so it's on people's radar. 
screen. Right. Oh, I mean, if you're going to have a clause like that, that's a that's a restriction, and so you need to you need to put your money where your mouth is, uh, and and maybe uh, provide some incentive in the, in the in the form of reduced grant or helping pay for some of the uh, cover crop expenses uh, in order to encourage the 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 operator to do that. Because many operators are willing to try these things, and Lord really wants them, but they're not willing to try. Uh, 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 near as easily if there's not some kind of incentive. Absolutely. And that leads me to my next question about, you know, other than maybe potential savings with the, the landlord, what might be some other financial incentives for adopting cover crops that, that rather than unlike soil health uh, factors that can be quantified? Um, I, we, I think we've talked a little bit about it, but certainly, certainly looking at the uh, the increase in yield, I think that's one of the most critical things uh, to try to figure out is what's the impact on crop yields from the use of cover crops. And and I've seen studies where the impact was really small, uh, but but uh, I had a student work on a uh, work on a project uh, here at Purdue uh, that was looking at some data from an individual farm uh, in in central Indiana and. And we found with a couple of the different cover crops, uh, specifically cereal rye and oats radish mix, that we were actually we actually were able to have a, obtain a higher yield uh, over time uh, with with the use of cover crops. I don't know how farm specific that really is, but there, there's certainly uh, that potential is out there. And one of the things I want to talk talk about when we talk about cover crops, this is getting into uh, the agronomics, which I'm not an expert at, but I, I do know one thing. When you're looking at cover crops, the relationship between fertilizer and yield is different. Uh, in other words, there's not a same, the response curve is different between those two. And so quite often when you're looking at cover crop adoption, you, you need to look at the, the fertilizer application and the yield impact of that cover crop, because depending on the cover crop you're using, uh, those could both vary. And sometimes you might have to use the same fertilizer amount uh, with the cover crop, but you get a higher yield. Uh, other times, maybe the yield is similar and you get a reduction in the, in the fertilizer. And so looking at that relationship, uh, you know, when you're, when you're starting to adopt uh, cover crops, maybe do a little trial, uh, for example, to, to look at a couple different cover crops or, or look at uh, no cover crop versus a cover crop uh, and just see uh, if that relationship uh, between the, the, the fertilizer and, and the yield uh, is varying by cover crop uh, or uh, more importantly between the the plots that have cover crop versus the plot does not that does not have a uh, cover crop one of the things that's really expanded in, in my career and I, I this is a very positive development in production agriculture is, is farmers are much more willing uh, to look at experiments on their farm uh, and even if you don't have all the rep the the the, the repetition or you know the the uh, the multiple plots like the the experiment uh, stations would have or the uh, research companies would have uh, you know just doing a simple a simple trial on your farm can be extremely beneficial uh, particularly looking at these fertilizer savings and, and yield uh, enhancements we'll be right back to the podcast but first I want to thank our sponsor biotill cover crops provide innovative solutions to growing problems with a complete line of cover crops engineered to scavenge nutrients, improve water infiltration, stop erosion, rejuvenate soils, improve your bottom line, and keep you profitable. Call 541-928-0102 today 
for one-on-one local consultations and recommendations. And now back to the podcast. In all the information that I have seen out there, there seems to be a lot of financial resources available for those who are just getting started with their cover crop journey, maybe the first one to three years of using covers. What about those growers who have experience using cover crops? Are there any financial resources available to help them? Well, one of the things about cover crops is, is you want to make sure you want to make sure if you're going to you know do this long term uh, that 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 it's pretty much going to be a, a neutral at least uh, you know re, uh, regardless of the subsidies that you receive. I think that should be a long term goal. And then once you've done that, you know, tweaking the system to see if there's there uh, to see if you can get increased benefits or reduced costs uh, is always important. And this isn't something we do once and then we never change what we're doing. Uh, you know, experimenting with that. And so those are just some things to, to, to think about. But one of the things I think that's coming down the pike, and this is not an, an area that I ne- necessarily have a tremendous amount of expertise in from a policy standpoint, but I, I hear all the time uh, discussion related to the importance of sustainability, uh, even from agribusiness companies. And so, you know, maybe down the road here, uh, you, know, you know, certainly cover crops would qualify as a sustainable practice. Maybe down the road here, uh, those that are doing some of these things that uh, uh, that that are that are uh, quote unquote more sustainable uh, will receive a payment for doing that uh, because they're sequestering cab- carbon and 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 doing things like that. And so uh, and so, I certainly wouldn't rule that out. And so, even though I say it it, it needs to pay uh, even without the subsidies long term. Uh, at least that's my thought on that. Uh, don't don't be afraid to look for opportunities. If it's NRCS payments or or uh, maybe some payments from from agribusinesses or or or, or other organizations uh, to to adopt more sustainable practices. And you know, cover crops sometimes go with not necessarily, but some cover crops uh, sometimes go with uh, like no-till or or reduced. Right. So maybe that combination uh, is going to be relatively attractive. Uh, you know, for, for, for these, for qualifying for these sustainable practices. Sure. And I, I, I definitely think uh, you're absolutely right. We have not heard the last of carbon markets and uh, how that's going to influence uh, the agriculture industry in the future. I, I foresee that that might be a, a topic we'll be talking about again <laughs> here. In yeah, the- and one of the challenges there, of course, is we're having trouble in this in this conversation today quantifying the short-term benefits and costs. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, Sustainability—that's a very long-term notion, and so and so. There's all kinds of measurement issues uh, and and validation. Uh, that we're going to have to think about, you uh, know, in, in order to 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 move in that direction. But I, but I like you think we're moving there, and 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 it could come pretty fast. Uh, you know, I, I keep hearing more and more about this in the last year, and so uh, this could come pretty fast. And so it's certainly something uh, to for for an operator, particularly those that are uh, thinking about reducing tillage or, or adopting cover crops, uh, to keep on their radar. Uh, and and I want to go back to this notion of I think one of your one of your questions was alluding to this. Uh, how can we think about cover crops as being uh, more more like an investment rather than a cost? That's an extremely pertinent point because you really it does have some cost aspects. Yes, there is there is short term costs. Uh, you know, in terms of termination costs, the planting costs, 
uh, the, the seed costs, those are very real costs, but it's an investment uh, to the extent that it's multiple year. This cover crop does not just have benefits from this current year, it has benefits over time. If you can, again, go back to the soil health, if you can improve the, the soil health, that has, that has very, very long-term benefits. And so just because we're having trouble uh, you know, measuring that does not mean it's, it's not important. One of the other benefits I want to talk about here, uh, you know, uh, that that's very important when you're thinking about yields, and this is anecdotal, so I don't, I, I haven't seen experiments that necessarily, um, you know, show this on a on a pretty widespread basis. But one of the things that that's interesting about cover crops, at least in the Eastern Corn Belt here, I don't know how, how uh, to the extent that this would be the case in 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 the Western Corn Belt, but in the Eastern Corn Belt, it seemed like the the years where we had a, a drier weather. Um, if, if, if you have a system that has reduced tillage and cover crops, it preserved that moisture. And, and right. season that had the drier weather, it sure seems like if you use cover crops, your yields were less variable. Uh, and so it mitigated downside risk in those dry years. That's something yeah. I'm really hoping uh, to, that we get from uh, longer term studies looking at cropping. Uh, you're looking at cover crops because if that's real, uh, that's a pretty important benefit. If you can get 20, Absolutely. 30 bushel more corn in a dry year because you use cover crop, that pays for itself. That pays for cover crops for a lot of years, uh, particularly yeah. prices. And so that's something I want to keep my eye on. And it's something that hasn't been discussed uh, all that much. And, you know, a lot of the studies we do, they, we look like the agronomic studies are very short term in nature. And so to really capture that, uh, one of the things that we really need to, to do more of, we're doing some of this, of course, but do more of is, is, is really look at long-term studies so we can get a handle on, on things like that. We can get a handle on soil health. Uh, we can get a handle on, on the, the, erosion, uh, the erosion impacts of, of using cover crops. I, that's an excellent point, though, about how weather can influence uh, cover crops and, and their use and then also the outcomes as well. I think uh, what you what you were seeing there is maybe the benefits of having what they call soil armor, uh, that the soil was covered and um, was able to keep that moisture instead of having it evaporate. And then also too, those cover crops have that cooling effect, uh, keeping the yeah. soil cool and allowing crops to still keep growing instead of just baking there in the, in the sun. So. Yeah. And think, and think about the contrast here. I don't want to, I don't want to push this, 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 uh, this analogy too, too hard, too, too hard, but think about the contrast. And we've got this in the, in the Eastern Corn Belt and other parts of the Corn Belt too, the contrast between a field that has a cover crop and a field that, and that where we've had full tillage. Right. I've seen some of the, the side-by-side pictures of uh, temperature gauge, in a field where there was there were no cover crops and the soil temperature is well over 100 degrees and then uh next to it is a temperature gauge with cover crops uh in the soil and the soil temperature is you know 85 86 degrees still warm but certainly not as scorching as that over 100 mark um and I, I think it does make a big difference to the, the plants and how well they do um, yield-wise. Now, you, you have to always mention that there's, that's not always positive because sometimes some right. late spring, if you will, and that cover, that ground with that cover crop is going to stay moist longer. That's true. It doesn't that's dry true. out as fast, and so you might, be able, not be, not, 
might not be able to get in there as timely to plant it. And so these things are not always one direction. That's what makes this very difficult. But but again, if we if we can show that there's some real uh, yield enhancements in those dry years, that's worth a lot of money. Absolutely. So kind of getting back on track here with our, our question in line, how long in your experience have you seen for it to take for growers to start seeing a positive on the balance sheet that can be attributed to cover crop use? I, I can't answer that definitively, but but it but this is a technology where there is a learning curve. And so you're not going to see it that first year or two. Uh, you know, from 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 my uh, you know, you know, sitting in at NRCS meetings where people have, uh, you know, people that have used cover crops for a long period of time, it takes several years. I can't quite quantify it any better than that, but it's not going to be, that's again, a challenge, uh, you know, because you've got these, you, it seems like the costs are bigger than the benefits initially, at least. Uh, so that's a real challenge that you get people started with cover crops, but it's very real uh, because they're learning curve with that and it, it, it's, it's similar to I, I'm doing I'm doing quite a bit of work in, in the area of organic rotations it's a similar to that only maybe not quite as extreme is is you have to learn that entirely new system uh, and, mm-hmm. and different set of management skills that you need to have in order to make that work and that's just not something you do overnight sure and it kind of goes back to uh, what you were talking about earlier with uh, looking at cover crops as an investment over the long term, rather than seeing that immediate feedback on the the balance sheet. Getting kind of specific here, when we're talking about uh, cover crop seed sources, have you seen which options seem to be more economical than others? Um, and, And how does maybe a grower who feels comfortable enough to grow his own cover crop seed, how does that fit into the the economic risk management we're talking about here. I, I'm not really able to 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 address the question growing your own seed. That's that that would be outside my area of expertise, certainly. But I, I if you if you're just starting growing cover crops, go with go with one that's used wi- widely, like cereal rye, to just give it a try. And and I know some people uh, they want to start with these 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 uh, uh, sophisticated mixes. I would wait. Uh, wait on that until you have more experience with the with the cover crops. I mean, in the, the study we looked at, going back to that uh, that that farm in, in central Indiana, the, the combination there uh, that worked quite well uh, was oats radish. Uh, but that doesn't mean that that's necessarily going to be the choice for everybody. And so, and so, I just would recommend starting with what probably the most common uh, cover crop uh, uh, in most of the corn belt cereal rye, and, and just see if you can make that work. Okay. Now, let me let me talk a little bit more about that. One of the the multi-species cover crops. Watch the cost. One of the reasons why cereal rye is used is it, it, it that tends to be much cheaper than a something that has seven different uh, things mixed together. You're absolutely right. Uh, so, what are your thoughts on perhaps? I know you mentioned you can't specifically speak about um, growing your own seed, but do you think that that could be a viable income stream for growers who maybe are growing and then selling their cover crop seed maybe to other growers or to even a, a regional or local cooperative? Yeah, I would think there'd be potential there. 
Um, that's not something that your big seed companies are necessarily going to be that interested in. And so I would think there'd be some potential uh, in, in, in somebody or, or several people getting together and, and trying to do that. Okay. So in your experience, have you seen, uh, you mentioned cereal rye and radish, but are there other specific types of cover crops that have more economic impact than others? Uh, not necessarily. I, I, I think. I, I think again, talking to other growers is is pretty important there to see if there's something in your particular region that's worked uh, really well. And 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 uh, uh, I would not, like I said, I would not start out necessarily with those real complicated mixes or those uh, that, that that have three or different three or more different species in them. I, I would start simple, but certainly uh, if you if you grow cereal rye or something like that and that's working for you, experiment with those others. Uh, to see if the extra cost, to the extent that there is extra cost, to see if that's worth it, to see if you get some additional benefits from those. And so I would do that on more of a trial and error basis. Uh, and essentially, that's what that farm in central Indiana did. He's tried several different mixes, and and he, and he and he's still trying different mixes and uh, just to see what works on his farm. For sure. And now, so the million-dollar question here. Talk with us a little bit about research that you've seen uh, you've alluded to this earlier about how cover crops can affect and boost yields, but um, let's talk a little more specifically. What what numbers have you seen uh, in bushels or um, tons as far as improving cash crop yields based on using cover crops? Now, the, the study that we uh, we published in FarmDoc uh, last May. Uh, you're looking at that that single farm again, so I don't know how transferable some of that is. We did see a, a pretty significant yield boost with the oats radish uh, compared to a no cover. Uh, the cereal rye was was uh, was a was a smaller uh, yield boost, uh, but there still was a yield boost there. Uh, but none of those years were dry years, and so uh, if you threw in a dry year uh, in, into that mix, the, the benefits would be even more uh, in my mind because the you know. It, it, because the, the cover crop's getting some benefit, uh, you know, in, in that dry year. And so it, it's certainly possible. Now, I, I know I've seen some other studies like the Iowa State did a pretty extensive survey uh, a few years ago looking at that, and, and, and it, it was a mixed bag. Some people did see yield increases, some didn't. And one of the things I wanted to point out about all of those, all of these studies where they look, do surveys with, with multiple farms is just, just, uh, just note in those studies how wide uh, the, the returns really were. Uh, mm -hmm. on, on average, there may be a loss, for example, without the subsidy in particular, but, but there's always people that make it work. Uh, and, right. and that's what's truly amazing about production agriculture and, it's, and, and really any industry is there's always people that make these systems work. Uh, and so that's, yeah. again, talking to some of these people that seem to be really really doing this and doing this well, uh, you know, pick their brain a little bit uh, is, is really critical. Because, uh, you know, I've, I've seen instances where it, 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 can, it can be higher yields, particularly in that dry year. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's probably other instances where it's not. Uh, the main thing you want to do when you're starting cover crops is not have a yield loss. Uh, right. You want the yield to be smaller uh, than what it was. And so getting that crop terminated in a timely fashion uh, it, it becomes really, really important. So now to clarify for our listeners here, the research that you did that did see 
cash crop yields increase, was that looking at using cover crops in a corn system, soybean? I guess it was what, for what corn, but it was in a corn soybean rotation. Okay. And okay. so we had we had plot data for several years uh, just on the corn corn crop. We did not look at the soybeans because we wanted to, well in that study in particular we wanted to look at that corn nitrogen uh, relationship. That okay. Was focus. Very good. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Michael. We are out of time, but uh, I really appreciate your insight on uh, adding cover crops to the mix and how the economic impacts that they can have both short-term and long-term for growers. Thanks so much for our listeners to uh, tuning in today. Once again, I want to thank BioTill for sponsoring this podcast. To learn more about BioTill, call 541-928-0102 today. For more information about all things cover crops, visit us online at covercropstrategies.com.